The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm standing in today for Kim Tebaldo as your guest host. My name is Linda House. I'm the Executive Vice President of External Affairs at the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of support for people touched by cancer in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and also online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Today's show is sponsored by Insight Pharmaceuticals, and we're talking about a rare group of blood cancers called myeloproliferative neoplasms, also referred to as MPN. This type of cancer is unique in a lot of ways. First of all, the quality of life can vary greatly from patient to patient. Many people can continue their daily lifestyles, while others have um, experience with more challenges as they try to complete their day-to-day activities. Also, people with certain types of MPNs often don't appear as, don't look as sick as they as they might be. And um, in fact, MPNs are often called the invisible illness. Finally, being a rare cancer, understanding a diagnosis of MPN and its treatment options can be confusing, to say the least. So today we've invited a couple of guests here to help us better understand the condition and also how to better live with it. Joining us today is Dr. John Mascarenas. He is Assistant Professor in Medicine, Hematology and Medical Oncology at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City and is a true expert on MPNs. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Mascarenas. Thank you for having me. Also here today with us is Melissa Wright. She is um, the program director for one of our affiliates, and I can't say enough um, about Melissa and and what a talent she is to our organization. She's a program director for Gilda's Club Quad Cities in Davenport, Iowa, and um, Gilda's Club is one of the cancer support community affiliates there in Iowa. So thank you so much for joining us today, Melissa. Thank you, Linda. Glad to be here. So I just told our listeners a little bit about myeloproliferative neoplasms, or MPNs. Dr. Mascarenas, could you just give us a little bit more of an overview about this group of cancer, you know, what it is, how do they behave, and then maybe um, some examples of the types of, of MPNs that you, that you see? Sure. So as you stated uh, initially, um, MPNs are a group of um, hematopoietic stem cell malignancies or low-grade cancers of the bone marrow. Um, The prominent ones, the most common ones that we talk about are polycythemia vera 
essential thrombocythemia, and myelofibrosis. They fall in a category or subgroup called the Philadelphia chromosome negative MPNs because they do not have a specific chromosomal translocation, the one that is seen in CML called 922. So ET, essential thrombocythemia, PV, polycythemia vera, and MF, myelofibrosis, all sit under an umbrella of Philadelphia chromosome negative MPNs, and these are a um, group, a heterogeneous group of disorders that can affect people in different ways, and that's one of the things we'll talk about today, um, and um, are rare in occurrence um, and occur somewhere between one to two people per 100,000 in the U.S. population. And so when you, when you say that they um, are, are Philadelphia chromosome negative, does, does that mean that they are hereditary in nature? No, that's a good question. It comes up a lot um, when discussing with patients. Um, although we do discuss um, genes and chromosomes frequently um, with patients and about patients, um, these neoplasms are not truly inherited, although there are several families that have been described in the literature throughout the world where there does appear to be some inheritance pattern. Um, MPNs are not uh, inherited disorders, um, although there are genetic mutations and chromosomal abnormalities um, that can be found in patients with MPNs and are acquired in those specific patients and not inherited. Okay, thank you for that. And, and, and so how, what, what, makes these, what makes these MPNs different than, I think you, you referenced, um, a type of leukemia? What, what is about their behavior that's different than, than a leukemia, let's say? Well, in, in my opinion, ET, PV, and MF are essentially chronic forms of leukemia. Um, they sit on the Philadelphia chromosome negative side of MPNs. On the Philadelphia chromosome positive side is chronic myelogenous leukemia. Um, and the, they're all fall under a big umbrella called chronic myeloproliferative neoplasms, which is different than acute leukemias, like acute myeloid leukemia, which tends to have a much more aggressive uh, course um, and um, a much shorter overall survival. Okay, and, so, and then so, so for the listener, um, a, a chronic form is essentially a slower progressing right. um, disease than a, than a more acute an acute disease. Right, a chronic form one could think of as more of an indolent, um, uh, continuous um, disease, uh, whereas an acute means more of a um, quickly evolving, more aggressive, and unfortunately. Um, more serious um, type of illness. Okay. And so you've mentioned three specific kinds, um, myelofibrosis, ET, and polycythemia vera, Correct. PV. Um, so why could you just start with myelofibrosis and just um, give our listeners a little bit of a, 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 an understanding of what what each of those things? Sure. Uh, to, for simplicity's sake, I'll start with ET because ET, okay. essential thrombocythemia, is essentially um, an elevated platelet count um, where typically your red blood cell count and your white blood cell count are not affected, um, whereas polycythemia vera um, is an elevated hemoglobin and hematocrit, which is a reflection of a red blood cell count, often with an elevated white blood cell count and platelet count. Myelofibrosis is um, a disease state that holds some similarities to both, um, but also differences. So in myelofibrosis, one could have an elevated white count, 
and platelet count, but often have anemia, a low hemoglobin. Um, patients can have um, very low blood counts, what's called cytopenias, um, and patients with myelofibrosis tend to have more symptoms um, in terms of constitutional symptoms, fatigue, weight loss, fevers, night sweats. They tend to have more symptoms related to their spleen and their abdomen, so spleen pain, um, bloating, discomfort, bowel irregularity, um, and they tend to be sicker in general than ET and PV patients. It should also be noted that both ET and PV patients can transform or evolve into myelofibrosis, um, and it would appear very similar to someone who has primary myelofibrosis. Okay. And, and so... So how are, how are how are patients with MPNs diagnosed, and and how do you differentiate between, of course, the symptoms that you just said, but are there certain um, specifics specifics I'm sorry specificities in the diagnosis that would indicate one over the other? Yeah, sometimes it's very clear, and sometimes it's not so clear. So a bone marrow biopsy is often used um, and is essential, actually, in the diagnosis of primary myelofibrosis, and essential thrombocythemia. Um, and the bone marrow biopsy itself um, can be diagnostic and help a hematopathologist and a hematologist um, come, to the, come to the final diagnosis. The blood counts are often uh, very telling and will tell, someone whether, tell a physician whether they're dealing with PV, ET, or MF. Um, and then there are other, um, other manifestations, um, for example, um, chromosomal abnormalities and mutational analysis can also help with make the diagnosis and sometimes help distinguish between the three different entities. Okay. So it's, right. to, to summarize, it's a combination of laboratory tests, physical exam, appreciating someone's spleen size, um, and often a bone marrow biopsy with um, chromosomal analysis and other um, analyses. Okay, and, and just for the benefit of uh, the listeners, we should probably mention that in the bone, so a bone marrow biopsy refers to taking a sample of the bone marrow, which is where blood cells are produced, and they mature in the spleen, which is why you're mentioning this, the spleen size. Is that accurate? Is that an accurate characterization? Well, the, the bone marrow biopsy um, allows a physician to get a sense of what's happening in the hematopoietic system where, where blood cells should be made, white cells, red cells, and platelets. The unfortunate issue in myelofibrosis is that process um, often stops occurring in the bone marrow, and stem cells, which are the primordial cells that give rise to white cells, red cells, and platelets, often abnormally traffic out of the bone marrow and end up in different organs, predominantly the spleen, which cause it to, to become enlarged and becomes another area or what's called an extramedullary aspect of hematopoiesis. Often in myelofibrosis, there is also an accumulation of uh, fibrosis in the bone marrow or as some patients refer to, scarring, which also makes it very difficult for blood cell development to occur and further uh, pushes uh, hematopoiesis or blood cell development away from the bone marrow into other areas. I should say that the spleen enlarging is one aspect, but extramedullary hematopoiesis can occur in other areas of the body, including the liver, and people can develop enlarged livers. Um, it can occur in the lung, and patients can develop infiltrates in their lung, um, as well as in the skin, and patients can, de can develop skin lesions and bumps. So the process can occur in many places, but 
predominantly occurs in the spleen, which is, accounts for the majority of uh, patients' um, splenomegaly or increased spleen size. And clearly, one of the reasons why it's so important that, that patients who suspect that they would have an MPN of any, any type get to, a, get to a specialist. There's a lot, a lot of detail to be, to be taken into consideration here. Um, just a, a quick question for you. We have about two minutes until break. You know, when you think about the average person who is diagnosed with um, any, any one of the MPNs, and, and maybe there's a difference between the three that you've mentioned, but is there a typical um, is there a typical demographic? So, is there a typical age, race, gender um, that you see with patients in MPN? Um, yes and no. So, typically, MPNs occur. Um, uh, in the latter part of life, often in the 60s. Um, having said that, um, in centers like our our own, where we see a lot of MPN patients, we have patients that range from 11 years of age to 90 years of age. Um, so there's a spectrum of um, ages, um, but the median is, is around 65. In terms of ethnicities or um, or backgrounds of patients, um, it can occur in any ethnic background. There's um, some literature that would suggest that um, certain ethnic groups may be at a higher um, risk of developing uh, MPNs, um, but for the most part, they occur in um, all age groups. Predominantly, the mid 60s um, is the uh, most common time for time of diagnosis. Um, any ethnic group I can think of, and essentially equally between men and women in myelofibrosis. ET tends to be uh, more weighted towards uh, women and PV towards men. Great. Thank you. That's very helpful. We have to take a quick commercial break, but when we return, we'll certainly hear more about these rare cancers and um, how to manage them. And, Melissa, we look forward to hearing some tips from you about how patients cope with the diagnosis and treatment um, of these particular um, diseases. So thank you so much for joining us today. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. My name is Linda House. I'm your co-host for today, and we'll be right back after this short commercial break. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health & Wellness. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. 
This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. We're back today with Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and today we're talking about myeloproliferative neoplasms, or MPNs. These are a rare group of blood cancers. Today's show is sponsored by Insight Pharmaceuticals, and in this segment, we'd like to talk more about particularly the treatment of these type of MPNs. And so, Dr. Mascarenas, I'm going to stay with you for just a moment and talk about what type of treatments are available for individuals who might be diagnosed with the MPNs. And again, I'm assuming that there might be different treatments depending on which of the three, um, the three, the three cases that, that someone would have. Absolutely. And so because of that reason, I'll I'll go through each one um, briefly. So for essential thrombocythemia, ET, um, the treatment is really based on the patient's risk score. So patients are risk stratified based on um, certain clinical variables, their age, uh, whether they've had um, a thrombotic or a clotting event in in their past, and um, whether they have other comorbid conditions that would increase the risk for having clots, which is a potential complication of MPNs in general. So patients can fall either in low-risk, intermediate, or high-risk groups, um, and that often is what allows a physician to determine the appropriate uh, treatment. And the treatment can range from um, low-dose aspirin as a thromboprophylaxis, a a measure to reduce the risk of clotting, um, to a watch-and-wait approach for some patients, um, to a more aggressive approach in trying to uh, reduce the risk of clotting, uh, either with drugs like hydroxyurea, which is an oral form of chemotherapy, um, to drugs that are used less frequently these days, like anegrelide, which is a selective reducer of uh, platelets, um, or to experimental drugs such as pegylated interferon, which is being conducted in, in clinical trials, 
and uh, JAK2 inhibitors such as ruxolitinib. Patients with polycythemia vera um, are also risk stratified for risk of thrombosis, um, and that's um, also based on age, history of thrombosis, and other um, competing comorbid conditions, which can increase your risk for clotting. Um, and patients, again, are treated with aspirin um, to reduce that risk. And in the case of um, polycythemia vera, it has been clearly shown in prospective studies that the reduction of hematocrit with therapeutic phlebotomies, so bloodletting to reduce the hematocrit, which is an indice of um, someone's red blood cell count, uh, to below a certain threshold will reduce their risk of having clots and often makes patients feel better. Um, and um, again, cytoreductive therapy in the form of hydroxyurea, interferon, or JAK2 inhibitors on clinical trials can also be employed to treat higher-risk patients with polycythemia vera. Myelofibrosis being the most complicated of the MPNs we're talking about today, also is um, very varied in its therapeutic approach and depends on the particular patient. It could range from watchful waiting for patients with very low-risk disease um, that are asymptomatic um, to um, drugs that are designed or intended to increase um, hemoglobin in patients that are anemic, for example, drugs like thalidomide or lenalidomide. In patients that have um, spleen-related complaints, historically hydroxyurea, or other chemotherapies like melphalan have been used to reduce the size of the spleen and ameliorate um, those spleen-related symptoms. Um, and um, today, in 2013, uh, ruxolitinib or Jacify is the only FDA-approved therapy uh, that's been shown to um, address spleen-related symptoms as well as constitutional symptoms, fevers, night sweats, weight loss, bone pain, fatigue, uh, and itching. Uh, and this drug does this very well. Um, bone marrow transplant or stem cell transplant is the only uh, therapeutic approach that offers the potential for a cure, and I have to be very careful when I say that. Um, this is a treatment approach that's really restricted to patients with higher risk disease um, that have uh, an appropriate donor, meaning a, a um, ideally a sibling or unrelated match um, where the um, particular HLA proteins match um, the uh, the recipient, and they under the patient understands the the risks that are um, not insignificant with stem cell transplant. Um, other than that, there are many clinical trial options that range from histone deacetylase inhibitors to other um, kinase inhibitors, um, all intended to try to address multiple aspects of the disease with sort of the, the, the lofty goal or the ultimate goal to try to um, address the malignant stem cells uh, that reside within the bone marrow and try to induce the death in those cells um, in order to obtain uh, meaningful remissions. Uh, obviously, our goal is uh, clinical investigators ultimately with any patient is um, to address their symptoms and hopefully uh, improve their survival chances. Mm -hmm. So, Melissa, I'd like to come to you for some comments because I'll tell you what what I just heard. A lot of great information, and and I feel I feel positive in that there are a number of things that we can do for people that have an an MPN. What I also heard is that there's a wide range of options available to 
patients, and, and they go everything from doing nothing and, you know, sort of waiting and, and, and watching as symptoms progress or as something else is identified to oral medications, potentially IV medications, removal of, of blood to, to sort of thin it um, to bone marrow transplantation. So that's a, that's a pretty wide range of options for patients. So you know, in, in the people that you that you see and that come to Gilda's Club Quad Cities, what are some of the typical concerns that they have as they're as they're facing some of these treatment decisions? Well, I think you're right, Linda. It seems pretty overwhelming, actually. And so um, a lot of times they walk in and they just um, sort of have this deer-in-the-headlights look, you know, kind of like, um, I've just gotten all this information. I've heard this diagnosis. Um, I don't know where to start. And so... I think just being able to, you know, have them think things through a little bit and um, try to encourage them to talk to other people about what they're experiencing um, is very helpful, which we do at Gilda's Club. They can join a support group. Um, but just helping them to understand, you know, what the diagnosis is, um, what the treatment options are, um, and so they've, you know, they've heard all those terms. They've, they know what some of the options are, but they might not understand the risks um, associated with that, and a lot of times they're always jumping forward even and thinking about the side effects already before they even, you know, really know too much about it, um, and so um, maybe they also need to think about uh, getting a second opinion, um, and obviously financial concerns when they're hit with all of this, um, that might be something in terms of the treatments and, and helping them make a decision um, based on either, you know, their insurance issues or um, other financial concerns they may have. So, you know, it's, it's just pretty overwhelming, and so we try to help them um, sort some of that out. And one great option we have at Gilda's Club in the cancer support community is called Open to Options, and this is a decision support counseling session where we can sit down with them one-on-one -on -one and, and kind of help them come up with a question list um, for their doctor. And so sometimes that can calm them down a little bit and help them think clearly and decide, um, you know, which direction they want to head. And, and you talked about a specialist, and so maybe it's just leading them in the direction of, um, you know, talking to someone further or getting a second opinion even. Mm -hmm. And so could you elaborate just a little bit more on, on open to options and, and give us, you know, some examples of, you know, in this situation or these situations, I should say, uh, you know, what are some of the things that a patient might walk away with um, in conversation with either their primary care physician or their, their um, hematologist, which is a blood specialist, or medical oncologist, a, a cancer specialist? So what are the real things that they might, that they might take back to them? Well, Open to Options is um, a service that we provide, and actually someone can do it on the telephone with the cancer support community, so it's not even something where they have to go into a Gilda's Club or an actual cancer support community affiliate, um, but we do them here, and I've sat down with um, a lot of patients to complete this this session. Um, and so we begin with, um, you know, I'm not leading them in, in asking them and giving them the idea of what I think they should know, but just trying to um, ask them questions to get them thinking about what it is that they want to know and what they want to gain from that appointment. And so, you know, we begin to um, take some notes on, you know, what they understand about their diagnosis um, and what 
the treatment options that they um, feel are available to them. And then we just begin to list the questions out that they have. And so when they walk away um, after an open to option session, they actually have a written document that they can take to their doctor and it lists their questions, and then we kind of prioritize, you know, the things that they kind of need to know up front, and then, you know, based on the information they get, there may be some other questions. So um, it's really important, I think, for them to just have something in hand um, to hand to their doctor, or we can even fax it to them ahead of time to the doctor, email it, so the doctor even knows, you know, what are the concerns of the patient and how can we focus this appointment um, and get the most out of it that we can and, and educate the patient the best way we can. So, so for patients MPN, I say, so for, even for, you know, maybe one of Dr. Mascarena's patients, they might walk back into him and, and with, with a question list of, you know, tell me the side effects of, you know, a particular procedure or a particular drug, and, 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 and it might stimulate a, a conversation about how that, that side effect profile might or might not be acceptable to for that particular patient, and, and, and they might, you know, look at another another option as an example. Right. I think it um, can be much more focused. The appointment mm-hmm. can be much more focused at that point based on the patient's concerns and, you know, what they understand about their treatment options. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it's particularly helpful in, in this type of situation where there are, are so many choices and, and, and a wide range of, of impact. Yes, definitely. You know, it, it's... It's all about trying to educate people and give them the, the knowledge that they need and empower them, you know, so that they can make educated uh, choices about their treatments and their care. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. And we're going to skip out to a commercial break just quickly. We are so lucky today to be joined by Dr. John Mascarenas from the Mount Sinai um, School of Medicine in New York and also Melissa Wright, who is the program director at Gilda's Club's Quad City in Davenport, Iowa. Please stay tuned, and we will be back shortly to talk more about these rare blood cancers. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities, Frankly Speaking About Cancer Series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer, it's a lonely word terms I don't understand, choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. 
help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. We're back today with Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today we're talking about myeloproliferative neoplasms, or MPNs. My name is Linda House. I'm your guest host, standing in today for our CEO, Kim Tibaldo. Well, I'd like to jump right in with the conversation about MPNs, and I'm going to throw the, the, the first question to you, Dr. John Mascarenas from the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York. And why is it that the general public knows so little about this disease? We've learned a lot today from you. Thank you so much um, about the disease. But why is it that the general public still knows so little about the disease? Um, it's probably several different factors. One is um, it's not that common. So we're talking about um, diseases that occur in one to two people out of 100,000, so not not nearly as common as breast cancer or lung cancer. Um, these are also diseases that um, probably historically were not, were not diagnosed correctly and, and perhaps um, historically physicians didn't explain what was going on with patients and what their diagnosis was in many cases. I'd like to think that um, in 2013 that's not the case. Um, And also importantly, there weren't really um, very effective drugs available um, historically, and I think that that also made it sort of a discouraging area of hematology to be involved in. Um, So it's a combination of um, uh, infrequent disease, a sort of a vague disease. It's often very difficult to explain to a patient what it is to have myelofibrosis when patients are more familiar with um, solid malignancies like lung cancer, and you can say, well, this originated in your lung, and now it's in these lymph nodes or in this part of your body, whereas these are blood disorders or blood cancers that um, aren't staged in that way um, and are, I think, more nebulous to um, to people, uh, I think, understandably. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and so how do patients react when they are diagnosed with one of these type of, of rare cancers? Um, the reactions can be varied. Um, I've had patients um, 
sort of uh, react in a um, in a subdued manner uh, where they're still trying to process it, and sometimes that doesn't occur until way after the the initial visit when they're at home discussing it with their their family members. Uh, sometimes patients are very overwhelmed, as was mentioned earlier, and um, and that makes it very difficult to sort of ask the right questions um, and really understand what's going on. It, again, it's, it's, it can be very challenging to explain to a patient what it is to have myelofibrosis and what the treatment options are. So often patients are confused. Um, I've seen reactions that range from anger to uh, frustration to um, fear and, and everything in between. So I think like the disease, which is heterogeneous, the, the reactions can also be quite varied. Um, and um, for a given individual, I think it takes time for them to process what it is to have this this malignancy and what's involved in in treating patients like uh, you know that have MPNs, and it's it's it occurs usually over multiple discussions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Melissa, I, I'd like to to ask you a question related to this. With with a, a disease that's so rare and and frankly complex, you know, how is it that patients find other patients? Um, in their same community. And I know at the cancer support community, it's not just the disease community, but there might be issues that are, that are common to patients, and they form a community in that, in that sense. But, but for patients that are diagnosed with these rare cancers, how do they find um, a, a group of, of community members or support or assistance that they would need? Well, I think it's important, obviously, to find others who have the same type or at least a very similar diagnosis. But I do want to add that, um, you know, we have lots of folks at Gilda's Club um, who have rare types of cancers and and just they don't have access um, to other people. And so I think just being a part of a community, whether you have the same diagnosis as someone else and and being able to talk about the emotions that go with that um, is important. So, you know, even... Even even if they don't uh, have a way of speaking to someone, I think just reaching out to other people who, in general, you know, have cancer and who know what they're going through is is helpful. Um, But other other ways that they can find uh, support from individuals with the same type of cancer, um, specifically MPN, um, you know, I've found that organizations like the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society um, are, are are a great resource. Um, that organization actually has um, a buddy-type system where they can match people up nationwide with other people who have the same type of cancer. Um, there's also the MPN um, Education Foundation and the MPN Research Foundation, and so those are great resources. Um, they have websites you can get on there, and um, they will... You know, there's stories, there's patient stories on those websites, and there's ways to connect with others. So, you know, if they're looking for support and being able to talk to others um, to ask questions and to gain knowledge and support, those are great resources. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'd also like to mention um, the Cancer Experience Registry. And we've done a show on the Cancer Experience Registry, but in, for those who, who haven't heard of it, 
it is an effort by the cancer support community. And in blood cancers in particular, we do partner closely with Leukemia and Lymphoma Society um, to, to help, you know, raise awareness about the Cancer Experience Registry. But it's, it's, it's designed for patients with all cancers. And I really think that, that, that for patients with some of these rarer cancers, they can go and become a part of this Experience Registry and not only share what their experience is like and, and challenges and, and wins and, and, and help us really understand what that looks like, but it also is a place for them to see how others like them may have, um, have, have answered a particular question or may have experienced a particular step within their cancer, their cancer journey. And so, um, you know, I just want to throw that out for our listeners, and, and that can be accessed by going to www.cancerexperienceregistry.org. And, Melissa, I don't know if you, if you have anything else to add to that particular piece of information. No, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that because, again, that is a valuable resource to people. I know we're trying to grow the registry and, and want to encourage people with any type of cancer to check it out. So um, thank you, Linda, for mentioning that. Oh, sure. No, I'm, I'm happy to. It's an important tool, uh, I think. Um, you know, the other thing I think we should mention is um, educational information. And so, as you mentioned, all of our partners, and, and by the way, they are listed on the Cancer Experience Registry website. So listeners can go there and be linked directly to our partners' websites. And I know a number of them have information um, on these rare uh, cancers and, and, and ourselves included. I know we've got a fact sheet on myelofibrosis and, and, and others. But, Dr. Mascarenas, I'm wondering if there are any other um, areas of, um, of of support or education that that you that you particularly use as you help these patients and their families, frankly, um, understand what they're facing. Um, well, I, I do think that many patients find um, comfort and um, and assistance emotionally and socially when they interact um, with other patients, um, whether it's on a list server or. Um, in, at least in, in Manhattan, there are um, patient support groups that, that meet on a regular basis and often have uh, speakers that interact with the, with the group. Um, additionally, um, at Mount Sinai, we have a, um, a local support group for uh, particular subsets of patients, for example, myelofibrosis patients that um, are either um, about to go into um, are in or have um, gone through a bone marrow transplant, and I think that area in itself um, is a um, is a particularly unmet need uh, for for patient support in a very complicated area. The only other thing other thing I'd like to add, which um, sort of occurred to me as I was listening, is one of the frustrations I think of being a patient with um, MPNs, and this was mentioned by you earlier on, is that often patients look can look okay, but may not feel well. Um, and that can be very um, difficult, and it took me a while to appreciate this aspect because many patients will become frustrated when they try to explain to people who don't understand what it is to have the disease, uh, what they're feeling or what's going on, and they may not get the acknowledgement or the understanding that they're looking for because people will say, well, you look okay. Um, and sometimes patients can look okay, but can feel quite ill, whether it's profound fatigue, itching, um, or night sweats, or things that may not be visible to other people. And I think that can really lead people who have this disease to feel um, abandoned, perhaps, in a way, um, by family members and friends. 
and sometimes uh, linking up to other patients who can who can um, validate those those feelings and those symptoms can be very helpful. And many patients have told me that on um, list servers or other um, other patient support groups that they have found that very helpful. Great, thank you for raising that. And we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break, but I do when we come back from break, I'd like to I'd like to pick up on this theme of of real issues that people are facing. And one in particular, Melissa, that I'd like for you to address when we come back is this idea of watch and wait and how patients and families cope with um, with watching and waiting and uh, as well as some of the other symptoms um, that Dr. Mascarenas has, uh, has just uh, gone over. So we will do that right after break. Please um, join me in thanking Dr. John Mascarenas from Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York and also Melissa Wright from Gildas Club Quad Cities in Davenport. Port, Iowa, as they've been our guest here today. Please join us right after the break to tackle another interesting and challenging topic of, of coping with a rare blood cancer. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and we'll be back shortly. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices. I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is sponsored by Insight Pharmaceuticals, and we are tackling a tough topic about myeloproliferative neoplasms, or MPNs, a very rare type of 
blood cancers. I'm joined today by Dr. John Mascarenas, who's an assistant professor in medicine, hematology, and medical oncology at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York. He's also an expert on MPNs. And then also joined by Melissa Wright, who is program director at one of the cancer support community affiliates in Davenport, Iowa, Gilda's Club, Quad Cities. So thank you both for being here again today. And we left off with talking about a couple of, of issues that are very serious in terms of the patient or family's ability to cope with the with one of these rare types of cancers. And, and in particular, Melissa, I'd love for you to start with this idea of watch and wait as a treatment option. Um, so if you could just briefly define what watch and wait is, and then how do you help patients and their families cope with, with that as an option? Well, with watch and wait, so it's exactly how it sounds. I think the disease progresses so slowly that, um, you know, the medical professionals are just basically waiting for something to happen to for the disease to get to a point where they can treat it. Um, so, you know, a lot of patients um, with rare types of cancer are in this situation, and that can be very um, frustrating for some. Um, it can cause a lot of anxiety because they're not really doing anything. They're, they're not um, undergoing any active treatment. And so they have to sort of find this new normal in their life of living with this diagnosis and um, living day to day knowing that, for one, it may progress at some point and they'll need treatment and, and they know what that could mean. Um, but they have to find ways of coping with, you know, the the emotional effects of the, the waiting, um, whether that be their anxiety or frustration or depression. Um, so I think, again, we've We've talked a little bit about support and um, the importance of reaching out to other people and talking about those feelings because family members, um, you know, tend to think that everything's okay, you know, especially if they look okay. And so I think talking to other cancer patients who can understand that and and, um, can help them to cope with that, you know, insecurity and the feeling of just, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, and finding ways to express their feelings, whether that be um, for some, maybe it's journaling. Um, others may find something rewarding in terms of meditation or yoga, you know, relax- relaxation types of activities. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of their knowledge of knowing the disease and being aware of um, signs or symptoms, that they may be looking for, you know, so that when things happen that they're in touch with the, their doctor and their medical team to know, you know, do we need to be doing further tests and, you know, is something else going on. Um, so I think these are all good things, you know, just the education piece and then finding ways of just um, being able to cope from day to day, whether it be through relaxation or, um, you know, talking to others. Mm-hmm. And so, Dr. Mascarenas, it does sound like it's really um, critically important that patients understand their diagnosis and their current treatment or potential future treatments as they think about how to reestablish, as Melissa said, um, a new normal moving forward. I would, yeah, I would totally agree. I mean, I think that for for those patients um, that do have a watch and wait approach, for example. Um, there's there's two ways of, of looking at it. One way is that they're fortunate to actually have a watch and wait approach because that would indicate that their disease state is not advanced um, and that the risk score is low. And although for some people can be frustrating and anxiety-provoking, 
um, I, I often look at it as a, as a positive thing and that we'd want to maximize as much time as possible uh, before initiating treatment, if, if possible, and that um, one should try to see that as a positive um, thing and, and um, engage your life as much as possible and to be aware of symptoms and reporting changes in, in symptoms to their physicians so that um, when treatment is needed, it's, it's done appropriately and, and that the physician and the patient are on the same, on the same page. Um, and then conversely, patients who, who need to be treated, um, that can be extremely anxiety-provoking um, because the, of the unknown of what will happen with the treatments, many of which can, can cause complications or, or other problems, um, and sometimes it's a swap of one issue for another issue related to the treatment. Um, so I think it's very important that prior to um, initiating treatment, physicians um, and, and the healthcare um, support around the physician spends time with the patient to explain um, what might be anticipated, both in terms of benefits and risks of, uh, of a given treatment. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and we at the cancer support community are trying to do um, a, a little bit to help with this, and I know that we have just released a book called, Frankly Speaking About Cancer, Spotlight on Myelofibrosis in particular. Um, Melissa, would you mind just telling the listeners a little bit more about that particular um, guide? Sure. So this was a booklet that we developed last year. Um, I was fortunate to be one of the the folks to help work on it, to be one of the contributors. And um, I think it's a really great guide um, that anyone can get. Um, And it covers, um, oh, what is myelofibrosis, um, how it's diagnosed, what treatments are available. Um, But it also, my part of the contribution was to give information about the emotional impact of cancer and then also the list of resources that are available and some of those that we've talked about today. Um, So it's... um, I think it's a very helpful booklet, um, and, and really, you know, I found as we were working on this, I mean, I know it's specific to myelofibrosis, but there's a lot of good information in there um, that I think would be valuable for anyone with, with MPN in terms of um, that the waiting and the watching and, and things that they can become educated about and, and what to expect. So I would recommend it highly. And the book is available through one of our affiliates, so a cancer support community, a wellness community, or a Gilda's Club, and then also on our website at www.cancersupportcommunity.org, free of charge. And for any uh, physician's offices who might be listening to this, they can order several copies of them and and distribute them to, to their patients. Dr. Mascarenas, I am going to give you the last word. We've got about three minutes until we close um, the show for today, and it's been a a great show. Thank you so much for for wonderful information. Um, But, you know, before we close, is there any any advice that you would offer either someone diagnosed, newly diagnosed, living with MPN, or uh, a caregiver, a co-survivor, really a a piece of information that you feel is important for, for anyone touched by MPN? Well, I want to thank you for inviting me. Um, I think this was a, a great forum to talk about myelofibrosis, and I think what I would end with is that, um, unfortunately, it is a complex and difficult disease um, to treat, um, and the MPNs are rare, and therefore um, the general public isn't as aware of them um, and doesn't understand exactly what's entailed. So I think um, for many patients reaching out and joining support groups or 
um, listservs that put patients in contact with other people can be very helpful. Um, and and something that was said today, second opinions are very important. I think that this is, since this is not a bread and butter um, type of malignancy, um, patients who um, are able to um, get a second opinion at um, centers where there are um, areas of expertise in this um, can be very helpful. And I think just as a general note, I'm, I'm encouraged by the progress that's been made in the last five years, per se, in the treatment of these diseases and uh, what's on in the horizon uh, in terms of um, therapies that will, will likely evolve and, and treatment approaches that will be refined. And um, I think that um, there's still, there's still um, a light at the end of the tunnel for many patients, and um, I think programs like this and, and education is, is part of that um, process. Well, we thank you so much for your, your contributions today in, in helping raise the awareness and, 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 and make people aware of, of their options. Thank you so much to our guests today, Dr. John Mascarenas and Melissa Wright. We appreciate your insight into this rare condition and how to live well with it. Thank you also for the generous support of Insight Pharmaceuticals for their support of our work to empower people with MPNs and other types of cancers to play an active role in their care. For more information about the Cancer Support Community's programs, including information on myeloproliferative neoplasms, such as myelofibrosis, as well as a host of other support services, please visit us at www.cancersupportcommunity.org or call us at 888-793-9355. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.